Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, welcome to the Bridgeway Podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We are continuing our series on uh, why go to the nations, why share the gospel, what is the impulse, the underlying motivation for going out into our neighborhoods, our networks, the nations, and telling people about Jesus and what he's done. Um, Last week, we looked at the simple question of why share the gospel? Why is it that God has given human beings uh, words to say as the means of reconciling the world to himself? And we had a great conversation with Sam and Andy Edwards, um, and uh, we've got Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, back in the studio today to um, answer kind of the opposite side of that question, not why share the gospel, but why don't we share the gospel? So Sam, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to talk to you about this today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping you're going to have some good answers to that question. Yeah, I'm. I, I came prepared. I I had a pr- <laughs> during a prayer meeting yesterday. I just had twelve things come to me, and I wrote them. No, that's you. That's what happened to you. So uh, anyway, uh, we had something else on the docket today, and uh, it was kind of loose, and we weren't really sure how to handle it. And you were like, you know what? I've I've just got these twelve things yeah. of reasons why people don't share the gospel. That and you were like, this could be a sermon, and we we're like, well, it could be a podcast. That's so right. Let's uh, let's make it a podcast. So um, we got twelve things to go through. So we should probably dive in. We probably should. Okay. Yeah, because this could go in multiple directions. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, so I was, um, I suppose that evangelism is the second most uh, loathed responsibility of Christians, the first being fasting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's number one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fasting. Probably, that's probably right. Yeah. What would you rather do? Um, I'd rather I'd rather eat a meal and tell someone about Jesus yeah, than not go. eat a meal. There you <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I'm always asking myself that question, Sam. Why do you not speak to the lost more frequently? Why do you not seek out opportunities? Why do you let that plane trip pass without talking to that person sitting next to you right, or whatever yeah. it might be? Um, and so I really began to do some soul searching and some, uh, now not all of these are necessarily reasons that, um, that cripple me in my evangelistic outreach, but I, I just tried to think across the board of Christians in general and what are some of the main reasons. So I'll just jump right in. Yeah, go for it. Um, the first one is the diminishing, uh, uh, belief in the reality of eternal condemnation. Yeah. I did a when I was teaching at Wheaton. In fact, I did some research on um, de- mainline denominations in the United States and their beliefs about the reality of hell, and it and and how it affected, if at all, their commitment to global missions. Hmm. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and you can actually trace it almost as just explicit cause and effect when a denomination begins to water down or question or outright deny the reality of hell, they are less inclined to give time, money, resources, or individuals to global missions. It's like, well, why bother? Right. You know, know, they might say, well, you know, they should take the gospel to the unreached because it will enhance their life here in this world. Well, 
Yes, it will. Although, to be quite honest, in this world, to become a Christian might expose you to persecution. persecution you yeah. might be better off not knowing the truth <laughs> if that's the only reason you're going to take it to people. Right. And it's amazing. With a, it, It's almost in direct proportion. And I won't mention the denominations, but you can actually read this in, in a variety of places as the conviction about the reality of an eternal damnation diminishes, so too does your commitment not only to personal evangelism, but the, the, the dedication of funds and resources and personnel to global missions. As, as there is an increasing awareness of the teaching of Scripture on this truth, there is a greater incentive, a greater motivation and an increase in in your commitment to uh, evangelism, church planning, and taking the gospel to the other side of the world. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense. I think it's still, even though it, it's kind of an obvious cause and effect, I think it's still really humbling, and it makes me go, how often do I contemplate the reality of eternal separation mm-hmm. from God? Um, and maybe that is the <laughs> one of the one of the causes in my own life for not engaging with that person on the plane next to me. Right. Um, and I think, I think there's a lot to be said about what we talked about last week with, um, I definitely need to get more of the gospel in my heart mm-hmm. and out of the overflow of my love and affection for the good news. <clears throat> yeah, I'll go. But man, this is a reality. I do not meditate on right. hell. Well, who, who wants to? Right. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, I mean, it's I, inescapable. I think you, you mentioned this, this passage last week. Um, Romans 9 and Paul you could just imagine Paul meditating on the fate of his Jewish brothers and sisters mm-hmm. being eternally separated from God and he's like oh that I would be accursed for you yeah. and it's like that that kind of cry doesn't come out of someone who's not meditating on right. hell wow okay all right reason number two all right let's go um, let me see how the best way to articulate this it's a, it's a loss of belief in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Yeah. In other words, religious pluralism yep. has corrupted the thinking of so many churches and so many individual believers. This now let me explain to our listeners what I mean by this. Jesus said in John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me." Acts chapter 4, "There is no name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved, just the name of Jesus." So If we believe that there is only one way that God has ordained, and by the way, here's a total parenthetical bunny trail. Okay. People say, gosh, I I think that's awfully uh, narrow and unfair. Only one way? I say, hey, that there is any way back (laughs) to God is an incredible display of grace and mercy Mm. on God's part. He didn't owe us any way. The fact that he's given us one is a huge display of his mercy and his kindness. Wow. Yeah, I've never thought of the, well, all roads lead to God as just a profound exercise in hubris Yeah, to say like, oh, any any way you can get back to God. It's like, no, the, the fact that there's one way is just completely befuddling. Right. Yeah. So what has happened is because of what we might call kind of um, global, the globalization of our world, you know, the world has shrunk because of, the, you know, I can sit here and pull up my laptop and in 15 seconds, I can be on the other side of the earth, not only reading about it, but seeing it. Right. Uh, the national boundaries that separate people groups have eroded, and we're one huge global family. Whether that's good or bad, I'm not. But the fact of the matter is, we look at that and we think, well, why would God have uh, only given one way, namely conscious faith in Jesus Christ? 
as a means to reconciliation with him. And so we've basically, what we've done is we've said, well, I watch them in their, uh, in their zeal and their religious expressions, and they seem really sincere. Why wouldn't God honor that? And we ignore the fact that God has said, look, um, sincerity doesn't really count for a whole lot if you're sincerely wrong right. and misguided. If you're a sincere idolater, you're still an idolater. And so we've lost sight of the fact that reconciliation and forgiveness of sins comes only by conscious faith in Jesus Christ. If I don't believe that, then why am I going to devote my life? Why am I going to support a missionary in Indonesia or in the Sudan if I believe that multiple religions are all equally legitimate expressions of, of, of the human heart that lead us equally to God in the end? Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, okay. Number three. Yeah, number three. I think sometimes we use God's sovereignty as an excuse. Yep. <laughs> yes. It's, it's kind of Ow. ouch. Yeah. All right. You know, I I, I I may get this story wrong, but I think it was William Carey okay. who was talking about his call to the mission field. Mm-hmm. And a man stood up and said, young man, sit down. When God wants to save the lost, he'll do it without you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, and this idea of, well, if, if God wants to save them, he'll do it without me. Um, he's sovereign. He doesn't need... Uh, my input or, um, or, or or my testimony or my witness. And so we kind of fall back on this, well, God's going to get his will regardless of whether or not I choose to obey it. And that is a horrendously sinful, selfish mm-hmm. uh, uh, attitude to take. So I think oftentimes um, we have this idea that because God is sovereign, and, and make sure you all who are hearing this know, I believe immensely in the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And I believe God works all things according to the counsel of his will, but his will is to employ his people, human instrumentality in the spread of the gospel. And we can't just kind of justify our passivity and our silence by appealing to the fact, well, God's going to get his way in the end anyway. Right. I mean, and that's one of the, one of the major critiques I often hear of quote unquote Calvinism Mm -hmm. over against Arminianism is that it just makes us lackluster in evangelism. Um, but I don't think it's uh, I don't think that's just a Calvinist problem. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, I think it's across the board. Um, Number four, yeah. uh, it's this idea. It's it's related. If I don't do it, someone else will. Yeah. It's like you know, I'm thinking of a. Uh, here's here's just an expression of you know one of the challenges we face at Bridgeway when we stand up and and just lay before our people the fact that here's an incredible opportunity for you to serve, to give your lives to our children by by uh, by devoting yourself to one service a month. Uh, to our Bridgeway kids. And I know what a lot of people are thinking. Mm-hmm. They're saying to themselves, eh, that might be good. I, I, I probably am depriving myself of the joy of that glorious experience, but I'll bet a whole lot of other people are going to sign up and they won't need me. <laughs> right. And so we, we have this idea, yeah, I could, I could share the gospel with those individuals, but if I don't, somebody else who's more zealous and committed than I am will eventually get around to doing it. And so we justify our silence and passivity with that notion, again, mm. which is a horribly unbiblical idea. Yeah. A fifth one, um, and I want to be careful with this one. Um, gratitude is not always the best motivation for obedience. Now, that mm. sounds really wrong to a lot of people who are listening, 
But we have to avoid the debtor's ethic, like, well, God did so much for me, therefore I have to pay him back by doing a whole lot for him. You cannot pay God back for his grace. Uh, The the way you respond to God's grace is by opening your hands and say, oh, Lord, give me more. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, people think, well, that sounds weird. Well, (laughs) Isn't that what the psalmist said? What shall I render thee for all all, all the salvation you've brought to me? I will lift the cup of my salvation. Say, fill it up even more, Lord. (laughs) I love that. Now, having said that, Gratitude is important. Yeah. We ought to be so overflowing with, my goodness, look at what God has done for me, a hell-deserving sinner. The only thing I deserve is the one thing I'll never get, mm. eternal damnation. Right. And the, the, the joy that that, that, that produces and, oh, Lord, thank you. How can I not share it with others? Now, again, not with the intent of, Lord, I'm going to show you, I'm going to pay back to you because I feel indebted to you for all the things you've done for me. It's like somebody invites you over to dinner and you go to their house and they serve you this exquisite meal. And at the end of the night, you say to them, well, you know, I really want to pay back your uh, generosity. Can you come over tomorrow night to my house and I'll make you an even better dinner? <laughs> that spoils the yes. whole, their whole motivation. They just did it because they wanted to bless you. Right. And you undermine it when you think you're going to pay them back. So, But having said all that, gratitude, I think, is important. And I think we sometimes are presumptuous and we take for granted our salvation. Well, of course I'm saved. Why wouldn't I be? I, I'm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> and we lose sight of the fact that the one thing that God owes us, he won't give us, hmm. but he gives us its very antithesis, ought to stir us to share the gospel with others. Yeah, absolutely. So what number am I on? I'm moving six. on to six. Um, we talked a little bit about this in the previous podcast. There's a loss of the fear of God. Right. Now, again, I don't want people to be mis- misled here. We use the word fear in two different senses. I'm not saying that we are to be afraid of God, like, for example, I'm fearing for my safety when I'm walking in a dark alley at night, Sure. as if I, I need to live my life concerned that God's going to jump out from behind uh, a wall with a club in his hand and beat the heck out of me. Yeah. We're not to fear God in the sense of of anxiety over whether or not he's going to treat us well or or somehow bring catastrophe into our lives, or worse still, hold us accountable for our sins. That kind of fear, John says in 1 John 4, has been cast out by love. Mm-hmm. But fear is an underlying motivation for obedience. Um, you know, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, fear God. Right. Um, he says it also in 1 Peter 2, fear God and obey the emperor. <laughs> Fascinating juxtaposition of statements. Yeah. Um, Paul um, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. Yeah. So there's this sense of, I am this frail, utterly dependent, finite being who lives only by virtue of the mercy of God upholding me in existence. And if that doesn't cause me, and I would say almost literally and physically, to tremble um, and to weep, I don't know what would. And so I think sometimes we lose sight of the reality of who God is and how we relate to him. Um, And I think fear sometimes is a good motivation. Fear, and and contextually, when Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5, contextually he's talking about the the, the prospect of standing before the judgment seat of Christ and having to give an account for what he's done with the gifts and time God has given him. And Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, therefore we persuade men. Mm. I think we've lost yeah. That healthy sense of reverence for God. 
Um, how, how would you, I just, I haven't asked a lot of questions, I, I, but this one is, is foreign to a lot of people, I think. Um, even though the psalmist says, you know, the fear of the Lord is clean, you know, like there's good fear in, in how, how would you, how do I cultivate my fear of the Lord? You have to know him. Mm. Um, you know, if I just see an average individual, you know, walking along the sidewalk coming in my direction, I'm probably not going to be afraid of that individual because I have no knowledge of who they are. I'm not certainly not going to be uh, in reverential awe of them because maybe they are an awesome individual, but I don't know that. Right. The only way you cultivate a healthy reverential fear of God is by knowing him, by by seeing what he has revealed of himself in Scripture and saying, Spirit of God, open my eyes to the majesty of God. You know, I remember over in uh, Hebrews 12, mm-hmm. where uh, the author of Hebrews talks about it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Do we know what God's wrath is about? Do we understand his holiness? Um, good illustration. Everybody knows this story. Isaiah 6. Yep. Isaiah, who is the preeminent prophet of God in Israel at that time, remarkably holy, dedicated to the Lord hears the word of the Lord, communicates it to God's people. And what happens when he stands in the presence of that immeasurable holiness? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That was reverential awe. That was a holy fear. Mm. How did it happen? He saw God. He saw and encountered the holiness of God. And I think the only way we're going to grow in that good and godly sense of fear is when we encounter the way God has revealed himself in scripture, made himself known in the person of Jesus. Yeah. So no, I think that's helpful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Number All right. seven. Number seven, we are smugly comfortable with our lives and we don't want to be um, disturbed. Great. Number eight. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did that one hit home? Um, let's face the reality that Sharing the gospel can be inconvenient. Yeah, uh, it messes with our schedule, and we like the comfort and the security and the peace that comes from being in control. And like, this is hardly a good analogy, but Anne says to me, "Honey, would the, the trash is coming tomorrow morning? Could could you take that out and and wheel the big, you know, containers out to the?" And I'm sitting there watching a football game on TV, and my smug self-centered comfort has just been disrupted by a request from my precious loving wife. Yeah. Well, sometimes we just don't want to intrude upon our own schedule. God, why do I, yeah, I see that person over there. Yeah. I feel the impression on my heart. You're, you know, they may not know Christ, but I'm really engrossed in this book I've been reading. It's about you, God. (laughs) You don't want me to stop studying about you. Do you just, Okay, okay, Lord. Yeah, I think we're just, we're, and this is really true in the West. We oh, yeah. have become so accustomed to our physical comforts. Uh, we are so dependent upon the ease with which we pass through each day, and we don't want to be disrupted. We don't want that to be turned on its head, and sharing the gospel can do that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. Do you want to personally testify to that? <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely personally testify to that. And I, I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, the antidote, you know, uh, is, is, it, is it just knowing that there's 
it, like a better comfort in in the joy of the Lord and in sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. That there's 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 we've been satisfied with making mud pies, you know, sure. and there's yeah. just there's a feast to be had whenever Thank we you, lay. C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, right. And when we lay the gospel out and it's banquet before another person, we're like, oh, this is living. This is what actual comfort in the Lord feels well, like. Let me just go back to my marital illustration. Okay. I know this is kind of a silly way of putting it, but Paul tells us to, that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah. And that there is greater joy in giving than in receiving. So as much as it might disrupt the pleasure that I'm experiencing watching a football game on TV or reading my favorite book, there is actually greater joy for me in serving my wife and humbling myself and doing a task for her that she has asked me to do. And so I think there is, yeah, I think we have to stop and realize whatever comfort I've built around myself, whatever creaturely joys there may be, they pale in comparison with the joy of obedience. Yeah. We just need they, to know that there's there's a better, there's, there's something better to say yes to out there. Yeah. yeah. Now, number eight is really kind of an extension of seven. It's just selfishness. Selfishness. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that we could go multiple directions there. Um, I want what I want, and I want it now. How dare you intrude on my life and ask me to set aside what brings me great, what I think brings me greatest joy, to go do something that probably won't have any effect anyway, and we're just, I, it's a, it's almost. In fact, maybe I should instead of using the word selfishness, maybe I should use the word entitlement. Mm, yeah, I'm entitled. I've worked hard today. I've right. I've sacrificed to get where I am. I paid my the price uh, in blood, sweat, and tears to be able to afford this house and this big screen TV, and all of the pleasures that I surround myself with. I'm entitled to this. I, I, I don't. I, I shouldn't take time out to actually think about how can I walk across the street or out into the backyard and speak over the fence to a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Right. So that selfish sense of entitlement, I think, is a massively de-incentivizing factor in, in, in sharing the gospel. Yeah, definitely. And I think the antidote to that one is probably goes back to gratitude, where it's mm-hmm. like, where did, where did everything you have come from? You're not entitled to it. It's all grace. Yeah. And so knowing that God has given it to you maybe creates a different reaction sure. to your own surroundings. All right, number nine? Number nine is the fear of man. And we could just stop there, you know, boom, yep, everyone... turn, off, turn off the, the machine, we're going home. Everybody knows what that means. Definitely. We are terrified of rejection. Yep. We are terrified of being laughed at, of being mocked, being called a fool. Uh, you know, one of the most powerful uh, forces in the human heart is the desire to be liked. Mm. Uh, we don't want to lose face. We want we want uh, we want people to want us around, and the gospel oftentimes will lead to being ostracized and mm-hmm. cut off and and uh, marginalized in in the circles in which we move, and we're terrified that somebody might get angry at us or might um, we might lose a client in business because we dared to 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 speak the name of Jesus in a public setting. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to run the risk of not being invited to the next party or not being on the inside of the news that might, uh, you know, enhance and, and, uh, and increase our careers. So it's just the fear of man. We are more afraid of what people think than we are of what God thinks. Yeah. We, we fear their frown 
uh, more than we love God's smile. And it, it just, you know, it's just a, it just guts us. It just is like puncturing the balloon, and all the air goes out of our, of, of our commitment to make known the gospel of Jesus. Like, oh no, what will they think of me? What will they do? What will they say about me to others behind my back? It's the fear of man. Yeah, and I think. I mean, when we think, I like the the frown of man and the smile of God, and it's like the more infatuated we become with the smile of God, the less concern we'll give to the frowns of men. And uh, and then I also think about the uh, like. You talked about re- the fear of rejection, mm-hmm. and but the role of the, the the role of like the fact that we're not the salvation, we're not the savior, we're not the Holy Spirit. They're not rejecting us. Jesus told us they're rejecting Him. Right. And so, um, I think there's there's I, I'm trying to bring up quick antidotes to all of these, you know. Like, sure. But uh, yeah, I think that's helpful. All right. Number ten. Again, it's related to number nine. It's the fear of persecution. It's True. not just that we're afraid of what people think about us. It's afraid of what they might do to us. Yeah. Now, is this um, as big an issue in the Western world as it is elsewhere? And the answer is no. No. Um, I'm not, I, I don't live in fear that if I walk out of here and uh, share the gospel with a person standing in line at Chipotle, um, that I'm going to be arrested right. and my property is going to be confiscated and I might be beaten with rods like Paul was or even stoned. That's not a that's not a hugely um, significant factor in my life, but certainly in the first century, certainly in other places around the world. So, for example, um, I don't have any idea when this podcast is going to be broadcast, but um, just today I read that Asiya Bibi uh, has just uh, made her way to Canada. If people don't know who Asiya Bibi is. She's a Christian in Pakistan who was charged in 2010 with blaspheming Muhammad, which she didn't do, but she was imprisoned. And for eight years, she lived in the most horrifically torturous deprivation in a Pakistani prison with a death sentence hanging over her head and mobs of people daily calling for her execution. And by God's grace, after eight years, she was released, she was pardoned, but then for the last eight months, she's been stuck in Pakistan, and they couldn't get, she couldn't get out because the government feared that if they let her loose, that the, the mobs would riot and incite violence. Um, and, but today, finally, through the work of a lot of people behind the scenes and a lot of sacrifice, she's joined her family in Canada. Now... Do I worry about having to suffer the same fate that Asiya Bibi did? Mm. No. Now, right. that may change. Yep. Uh, um, we're seeing increasingly in America, um, um, let's take, for example, something somewhat related. Uh, you know, the, the, the fellow that had the, uh, the, the cake shop in, in Colorado who chose not to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. And lost virtually every dime he had, had to go to the Supreme Court. He was ultimately vindicated. But there's a lot, there's a, persecution takes different forms. But it's not as big a factor for us here in the States as it is elsewhere in the world and the other side of the earth where it could co- literally cost you your life, yeah. cost you your family, cost you your health, cost you your, your possessions. Um, but it's increasingly becoming so. And so the fear of persecution serves to silence us yeah it shut it, it mutes our voice 
because we don't know what consequences may come from it. Right. And the amazing thing about this one is it's, it's actually one of the things that God uses to expand his gospel sure. is he uses persecution as well, a megaphone. Yeah. What was it? Uh, well, Tertullian supposedly said that the, the, the blood of the saints yeah. is the, or the, 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 the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel. Of the church. The blood of the, yeah. Blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We'll get it right yeah. here. Yeah. Right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Um, number 11. And now I'm getting down to kind of these less, you know, we've been talking kind of pretty grandiose theological <laughs> kind of ominous terms. Um, the last two are equally as powerful in shutting our mouths as the others, and maybe in the West even more so. The number 11 is people say, well, I'm terrified I might not be able to give a good answer to the hard questions I'll be asked. Absolutely, yep. I mean, that that is a massively influential problem in human hearts i when you you sit down with somebody and you say all right let's let's be let's face to face let's be honest with each other why do you not share the gospel with your coworker? and oftentimes they'll say well i'm just not smart enough and i know they're going to ask me questions like why is there evil in a world that is governed by a good god or what about the heathen in africa or what about uh, in those who die in infancy or all of these questions, uh, you know, or what about the evidence for the resurrection? And how can you believe that God actually raised a man from the dead? <laughs> all of these theological questions that, that, that fall in what, the area of, of what we call apologetics. Right. And most Christians are really honest. They say, I just don't know the answers and I'm going to look like a fool. I'm probably going to do more harm than good. Sure. Maybe I should just keep my mouth shut and hope that that person will eventually read a good book in, on defenses of the Christian faith, or they'll encounter somebody who's studied this more than I have. But it's the it's the fear, and maybe this is also a little bit the fear of man yeah. as well. I don't want to be shown up as ignorant. I don't want to be caught without an explanation for a difficult question. Um I'll just give you a personal example of this. I do a monthly live call-in show with Janet Parshall at Moody Radio. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm going to be real honest. Every month when that rolls around, I have to overcome the fear that somebody's going to call in with a question for which I have no answer. Sure. And that's happened a few times. Yep. Um, and I had to get to the point where it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, what I do is I write down the question or the verse they've asked about. I say, listen, here's what I'll do. I will do research between now and the next show. And if you can call back um, and, uh, and, and ask it again, I'll do my best to circle back around and give you the best answer I can. I would just say to men and women out there who are listening to this or saying, you know, that really paralyzes me. I just, I, I'm just not smart enough. I haven't read enough books. I don't know enough theology. It's okay to say, I don't know. Right. It's, you don't have to, that person's response to the gospel is not hanging suspended on your intelligence. Yes. It's just not. It's so true. And sometimes you need to say, hey, that's a good question. I'm pretty sure there's a really good answer for it. So here's what we'll do. Uh, Let's plan on getting back together and having coffee in about three weeks and I'll do a little research, mm-hmm. and I'll see if I can come up with what I think is the proper answer to that. And we'll sit down again, and we'll we'll re, we'll go back over it one yep. more time. Yeah, I think people love that answer. I think you know, from a skeptic point of view, I think they love. Oh, 
you're you're taking my question seriously. You're yeah. going to go look into this. Thank you. Like that's amazing. And I think we don't do that with anything else in our lives. Like when you set out for a home improvement project or a new job, or you you do you you make decisions to do things before you have all the answers, and even knowing that you're going to run into something that you don't know what to do next. And what do you do? You look up how to do it. Yeah. You Google it, you watch a YouTube video, you exactly. ask a friend for advice, and then you go back and address the problem. And so we don't let any, we don't let the unknown questions that are going to come up in any other aspect of our life cripple us from actually doing actions. Uh, so we shouldn't with evangelism. Either. Yeah. And I have to remind myself, uh, we have unbelievers as well as mostly Christians call in that show. And I have to remind myself, Sam, that person's eternal destiny is not hanging suspended on your ability to answer their question. Right. Now, that doesn't mean I shouldn't be diligent to find the best answer mm-hmm. I can. I mean, Peter tells us to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you, an explanation. Um, but, you know, I just have to say, be honest and say, that's a great question. I don't know. And here's, what, here's, the, here's the follow-up. But let me tell you what I do know. Yeah. Let me tell you how Jesus Christ has changed my life. Let me tell you where I was before I came to know him. And quite honestly, um, in most cases, that person hearing your testimony will do more to awaken their curiosity and interest in the gospel than your answer to all sorts of philosophical and theological questions. Yeah, you think so about true. think about Paul when he was standing before Felix. Did Paul give some good answers? Yeah, yeah. but what was most powerful? He says, "Let me tell you what happened on the Damascus Road." Right, and just say. I'm not trying to uh, uh, evade your question. I'm not trying to avoid giving an answer. I just don't have one right now. But let me tell you who Jesus is to me and what I have found him to be. That will go farther in, in, in penetrating the hard heart than anything else because what matters more to that person than a good philosophical explanation is this other human being sitting in front of me yes. who's testifying to a transformed life and deliverance from sin and guilt and shame because of this person named Jesus. Tell me more about him. Yeah. And I think it's amazing, too, that you, you do that in spite of not knowing the answer to a hard question. Like, I think that's right. a great testimony in and of itself where it's like, you know, well, why is there evil in a world if it's governed by a good God? It's like, man, I have struggled with that question myself. But despite that, let me tell you that there is a good God who died for the evil of the yeah. world. And you, and like, and like now I'll, I'll go do some research and I'll also try to give you the best answer I can to that question. But man, I, I believe in spite of having that question. And here's another thing that I often say, just because I don't have a good answer for your question doesn't mean there isn't one. Yes. Right. And even if the greatest theological and philosophical minds in the universe over the last several thousand years haven't been able to come up with a fully satisfying explanation, doesn't mean there isn't one. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, let's. who do we think we are that we are so brilliant that we can fathom the complexities of this universe mm-hmm. and all of the mysteries? Um, you know, here, here's a question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Right. Maybe that's the biggest question of all, and you may not have a good explanation. Trust me, there's a reason. Yeah. God has a reason, but we may not know it. So uh, simply acknowledging and being honest enough to say, I don't have a good answer, but that doesn't mean there isn't one yeah. because I don't claim to be the most brilliant person in the universe. <laughs> right. That's good. All right. Number 12. 12. Here we go. And this is, a, this is a simple one that a lot of people use. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> 
Right. I, I, I can't share my faith. I shouldn't share my faith um, I, I, because, you know, that's for the people who have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Hmm. Now, there are so many errors in that way of thinking. Now, the first element of truth, are there some people who've been given the spiritual gift of evangelism? Yes. Are all people given the spiritual gift of evangelism? No. Right. Uh, there's no spiritual gift that every Christian has. Um, Billy Graham, obvious example, had the spiritual gift of evangelism. Um, there are other people I know. I have one of my colleagues at Wheaton College uh, who still teaches there, a great friend named Jerry Root, uh, has has the spiritual gift of evangelism. Hmm. I have a friend down in Norman who I won't I don't know if I'd – I'll tell his name. Jack Spates. <laughs> Jack was the wrestling coach at OU for years and years. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody who just oozes evangelism, and he is so at ease with it. Now, if you pressed him, you'd say, Jack, were you a little scared? He'd probably say, yeah, I was terrified. Mm-hmm. But he has a knack for it, a zeal for it, and he he cannot interact with a non-Christian without sharing his faith. Brian Blount, who's a you know, pastor here at Crestwood Vineyard in Oklahoma City, an incredible gift. He will never, I'm not exaggerating, he will never pick up his order at a McDonald's drive through without asking the person if they know Jesus. Wow. He has led people to the Lord in the most amazing ways. Now, there are people like that. I'm not one of them. I'd love to have that gift. God has chosen not to give it to me. But everybody has the responsibility to evangelize. Um, not everybody is gifted to be an intercessor who spends hours alone in the prayer closet, but everybody's supposed to pray. Right. Not everybody has the spiritual gift of teaching, but we read in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 that all of us teach one another mm-hmm. in a variety of different ways. So, yes, there are, for example, uh, my wife has the spiritual gift of mercy and the spiritual gift of serving, but that doesn't mean I'm excused from being merciful and right. serving others. Yep. So we can't use that. that that's just a that's the weakest of all the excuses that people use for not witnessing. Well, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, so what? Go evangelize. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to sound harsh there, but I've just heard that excuse so often. And all the other 11, I can understand. That's the one that I can't. Yeah, well, especially because the Holy Spirit is in you and does give you the gifts needed to evangelize. Sure. And so, yes, there's this categorical gift of evangelism, and you've given us some examples of people who have that, but we all have the Holy Spirit within us that works through us to, you know, be ambassadors for Christ and say, be reconciled to God. And so, um, yeah, that's good. So, yeah, you called those the dirty dozen. Yeah. I I really think I'm going to have to turn this into a sermon. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Um, because, you know, and, and honestly, where a lot of these came from is I asked my own soul, Sam, yeah. Why are you not as vocal and as consistent in the preaching of the gospel as you should be? And I start saying, all right, here are some reasons. Not all of them apply equally to me, but a lot of them do. And um, I'm, I probably should ask others, can you g- give me your reasons? And I could probably expand this to 15 or 20. Probably. Uh, yep. But those are the 12 that came to mind. Well, there they are. Um, Thanks for sharing, Sam. Um, So starting next week, we're going to start hearing stories of people who are going to the nations, who have gone to the nations, uh, who are going to their neighborhoods and their networks. We're going to keep digging into this question of why go to all nations? Why share the gospel? We're going to continue to try to ask questions of our own hearts and our motivations in an effort to uh, spur ourselves and each other along in going out and sharing the good news of Jesus. So keep listening. Um, I promise that that, uh, it will be uh, inspirational 
and uh, convicting. Um, And so we, we thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.